Monday, October 22nd. Welcome to Market Forward. Thanks for coming joining me in the studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Special Ops, and Michael. So good to see you guys. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, Chris. Pleasure. Uh, Happy Earnings Palooza. It is Earnings Palooza. We've got earnings from Caterpillar and Hasbro. We are actually going to start with a couple of non-earnings stories. I know that's a <gasps> shocker, particularly since I think somewhere in the range of a third of the companies in the <laughs> S&P 500 are reporting earnings this week. Uh, but we have a couple of acquisition stories to get to first. BP has announced it has agreed to sell its 50% stake in TNK BP, a joint venture in Russia. It's selling its stake to Rosneft Oil in exchange for $17 billion in cash and a nearly 13% stake in Rosneft. Uh, Mike Olson, first and foremost, why did BP make this deal? Uh, I think there are there are probably three reasons I can come up with at risk of doing a Rick Perry. Um, <laughs> um, the first is that this has been a very troubled joint venture almost from the beginning. It is a 50-50 joint venture where BP owns half and a group of Russian businessmen own the other half. Now, if you have not followed the oil and gas patch for a long time, that is a very, very difficult place to do business. It is politically challenged, to say the least. Duh. Duh. Second is that they need money. They need money for that little Gulf of Mexico disaster, Mm -hmm. and this is a place for them to find cash. And the third, in my opinion, is they basically are – I wouldn't be at all surprised if they're looking to kind of double down on their strategic imprint in Russia. TNKBP – was not as politically connected as Rosneft is. Rosneft is a Russian government oil company. And so if your idea here is where TNKBPs feels were perceived to be declining but great cash cows and you want to get into the new shiny thing, Rosneft could be a way to do that. Shares are down slightly as of this taping, which surprises me a little just from the standpoint of all of a sudden they got $17 billion in cash on the balance sheet that they didn't have last week. Um, is it, does, that, does that say more about the cost of doing business in Russia, whether you do it on your own in a joint venture or whether you've got a stake of, uh, of another company? Or w- what does that say to you that, you know, that the <laughs> stock is, is down a little bit? Well, I mean, I first, first is this was pretty widely telegraphed, this deal. And so I, I don't think it was much of a surprise to the markets. The price was okay. It wasn't excellent. It wasn't I was going to say, so um, is it more a reflection of that then? That like, hey, we knew this was coming. We were kind of hoping, collectively as shareholders, we were kind of hoping you were going to get slightly more cash. Right. Well, I buried the lead. And, and I guess, uh, shame on me for I didn't lead with my strongest statement. But the the problem here is they actually are only getting twelve point three billion in net cash because as part of the con- or one of the conditions of that is they are investing more money in Rosneft and so what have they done they've traded one troubled asset for another asset which is highly illiquid and possibly problematic because it is widely believed and Putin has been doing this that the Russian government is trying to consolidate its ownership of Russian oil assets and so. If you are a BP shareholder, yes, there is the possibility you can get a piece of these Russian development assets. But the more likely outcome is that the Russian government is going to take care of Mother Russia first and foremost. Jason, what do you think when you look at this and just broadening the lens to the oil industry in general? Um, certainly, BP has had its troubles, as Mike mentioned, the Gulf of Mexico. But 
even beyond that, just you look at shares and how they've performed over the last year, and this is this is a stock that is clearly not in the same class as ExxonMobil and Chevron. Yeah, I mean, there was a time to buy BP, and it was probably right after the Macondo spill. Um, now, the stock price has certainly rebounded a bit. There's still a lot of clouds uh, overhanging the company, though. And I mean, like Mike was saying, this was this was a known sale. It was it was a bit of a forced sale. Um, and so, yeah, shareholders are probably a little disappointed in, in that they didn't get more cash for it. But, I mean, yeah. what you're going to see going forward with BP is you're going to see a bit of a smaller company in regard to assets. You're going to see a company with, you know, who knows how many liabilities will, will still overhang them 10 years from now on this. And so, I think you know, that, from today's price, makes it makes it less a compelling uh, investment opportunity, uh, to me at least. I mean, I think there are better ideas out there. I mean, I'm still a big fan of Halliburton. We've talked about Halliburton a lot on the, on the show here. And and um, yeah, I think that its diversity in oil and natural gas gives it a little bit of of leeway there, as far as uh, you know the the record low natural gas prices we've been seeing. But we're also seeing a bigger shift to oil now, um, and Halliburton is able to accommodate that tremendous fracking operations internationally speaking, and a stock price that's still not really reflective. I think I think of its long term earnings power. So. So if I if I was looking in the oil space today, Halliburton would be the one of the first ones I'd look at. Yeah, Mike. To that point, what's uh, I'm assuming you joined Jason in in not finding BP all that attractive as a stock opportunity. If that is the case, what what do you think is a more compelling play in oil and gas? So I do think that um, I do not think Halliburton is particularly attractive for the continuing uncertainty surrounding the liabilities or the scope of the. Wait, liabilities. Halliburton or BP? I'm sorry, BP. Oh, okay. Uh, Halliburton is also exposed. It uh, is, yeah, but. It seems to be not as much, though, I, I think. It's a little bit more known, would but you say? It's an open question, I think, because, I mean, the, the question really is, and not to delve into legal arcana, but the extent to which they were negligent and in turn might be held responsible. You remember they were the people who drilled or were, were responsible for a substantial part of the drilling at the Gulf Well. Back to BP, I don't really like it just for the fact that they're going to be very challenged in terms of replacing their production and maintaining their margins. A lot of the oil production they have right now, they're earning buco margins on it because these are older assets where the cost of finding oil was much lower. Right now, they're drilling shales, they're drilling deep water, and they're also drilling, like uh, I guess, oil sands. And all that stuff costs upwards of $50 or $60 a barrel to find the stuff. So you can't really find that one particularly interesting few that I like in the oil and gas space, um, I like Apache, I like Devon. Both of them are kind of mid-sized oil and gas companies. They have diversified oil and gas footprints, as well as by geography. Um, great management teams focused on return on capital. One, if you wanted to play in the dry gas space, which I particularly like, is Ultra Petroleum, collection of low-cost reserves. Shareholder-friendly management team, natural gas obviously has been in the tank, although it's recovered somewhat recently. Also, disclosure, I own the shares. <laughs> shares of Ancestry.com up nearly 8% this morning on the news that it is being bought out by European private equity firm Permira for around $1.6 billion. Um, Jason, what do you think of this? This is a company that just went public three years ago, raised $100 million. It, this is a... We've certainly talked before about companies that are either being taken private or are rumored to be heading private because they are troubled, because that's the only way they can you know, right their ship. That doesn't appear to be the case here. This is a profitable company that seems to be doing pretty well. It's certainly done right by shareholders uh, over the last 
basically for the time that it's been a public company. Um, what do you make of this news? Yeah, I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a going private because it needs to go private. It wasn't like there was a there was a problem with the company. They weren't having any any issues. It was uh, to me, really, honestly, this is a win win in the sense it's a win for shareholders in that. They are they are getting an acceptable price for their shares if, it, if the deal in fact does go through, and it's a win really for uh, the future owners of this company. And so it's it's being taken private by Premira. Um, now Spectrum will also be a partner in this uh, transaction. Spectrum is the the uh, private equity company that bought into into Ancestry.com at the very beginning. This is an investment an investment fund that bought in, into the company at the very beginning. They own about 22-23% of the shares today. Um, now, Premiera will serve as the um, as, as sort of the leader of the pack of the transaction, so to speak, but uh, management of Ancestry.com will also take take place in, in the, uh, the going private transaction. I think it's, it's good for them because really what they're going to try to do is realize uh, this this business model for what it's fully capable of. I mean, the, the beauty of this business, first and foremost, is the amount of information that they have. I mean, it's just phenomenal to think about the information and the the degrees that that this company can connect. Uh, what I mean, it, it it was finding relationships with all sorts of people all over the world. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, they're going to just wring out every bit of monetization they can here. I think, and they're not going to do it. Uh, while being beholden to the the public markets and shareholders, possibly they'll they'll you know take it public again at some point. If they did, I wouldn't be surprised to see them loaded up loaded up with debt first. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things that just happens from time to time. Mike, what did you uh, think of this news when you saw it? I mean, I think Jason covered a lot of what I'd already thought about. Whereas the Russian government and golf litigants were the winners in uh, <laughs> in BP in BP, this was indeed a win win. Ancestry shares have been continuously dogged or kind of challenged since they've come public because the idea was that, was that this was a subscription-based service where there was substantial recurring revenue uh, from the genealogical services they offered. Of course, you build out your family tree and the logical question might be how many months' worth of service do you actually need and that is a question that shareholders have continuously asked as growth has kind of been a bit challenged over passage of time. Yeah, but when you look at the performance of the <coughs> stock, it, it went public three years ago, and it's more than doubled since then. So just, just speaking as one individual shareholder, and I don't own shares of this stock, mm-hmm. would that every stock I owned was dogged <laughs> in this manner? Like when you, right, when but, you then, but they're off 40% from where they were, I think, earlier this year. And so- that that kind of gets to the challenges they face, which is they can't make these investments in bigger capacities, deeper service offerings, things like that, and, and really double down on what knowledge stores they have within their databases as a public company because they're going to be continuously asked this question, what have you shown me this quarter? And as a private company, they can think more strategically about these things. Take a three- to five-year view. And for a private equity company, this is the type of business that you really like. It's asset light. There's low capital intensivity. There is a nice subscription-based revenue stream, even if the retention is not as good as you might have initially expected. And so, you know, you can buy this and you can strap it full of debt. Give it three or four turns worth of debt. That's, I mean, a lot for <laughs> in layman's terms. And, you know, you don't have to really think about this. Maybe you take a public again. Maybe you just soak it for the cash stream. Whatever it is, it's not a bad deal for everyone because shareholders 
might have continued to be challenged or not challenged, but frustrated by this. And they make money now. And I think we, you know, we hit on a couple of concerns here with with this business earlier. Number one is, I don't know exactly about the staying power of this. I kind of wonder how long. It's neat initially to see, oh, wow, yeah, there's my family tree. That's really cool. And then you kind of like forget about it. You're like, oh, whatever. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at subscription growth, for example, I started looking at this company back in, in late 2010 when they had about 1.3 million subscribers, and they just recently passed the 2 million mark. But let's also be very clear here. It's not like you're looking at a subscription base of, you know, our population of 310 million people right. or even 250 million people for that matter because you have essentially 125 million or so households in, in the U.S. Now, granted, this is an international business, but let's just use the U.S. for as an example. So you have you – know, there's no reason really you're going to have more than one subscription, I would think, in, in a household. And how many of those way. households are related to Correct, each other? Correct, exactly. So, I mean, you're, you're, I think there is a, a limit. There is a cap, a ceiling on the on the membership base to begin with. And, and then what was it? The NBC show, so you – you think you know who you are or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it was cool for a season and boom, it ran its course and it's done. And that was that was a show that was sponsored in part by Ancestry.com. And so I do question the staying power of a business like this. And so I think, you know, them going private like this, it certainly eliminates shareholders from having to worry about that. They can focus on trying to monetize it. Now, if it does go public again in three or four years, pay attention to that balance sheet. I wouldn't assume it's just a no brainer. Moving back to earnings palooza, Caterpillar's third quarter earnings came in higher than expected, but the company cut guidance for the full year. So, Mike, kind of a mixed bag uh, for Caterpillar. Uh, and yet, shares were up slightly this morning. Was Does that tell you that, in terms of expectations, all of this was just sort of built in, that, that basically what Caterpillar had been hinting at for the past few months, people were like, oh, okay, yeah, there are the official results. It actually was about what we thought it was going to be. Right. So this stock is always very funny to me, is that, you know, that it's one of the more widely followed stocks out there as a Dow component and kind of a bellwether for industrial spending. And you know, you're looking at a multi-year kind of generational phenom spending on heavy equipment for mining, energy, and industrial applications, and yet people want to think about the next quarter's results. Now, think about this in a very practical context. You're spending on heavy machinery here. These things have a very long, useful life. You can delay that expenditure for some passage of time. However, across the longer term, there are some really really big secular trends which are underpinning these expenditures. And so, the fact that somebody wants to think about a quarter's worth of results is just inane to me. You know, yes, we knew the economy might be slowing down. Excellent. Like, and, and yet, it's a profound view. And yet, Caterpillar's CEO came out this morning and said, among other things, that when they look out over the next 15 months, they don't see a recession in, in basically any country where they're doing business in a, in a significant way. I mean, does, I mean, when we talk about bellwethers, is that the more relevant news here? That that not so much what Caterpillar did for the last three months, but that going forward they see, if if not certainly booming economies around the world, the lack of a recession anywhere. I think generally speaking, yeah, the, these stocks. You look at these stocks like Caterpillar and Joy Global. We talked about this before. I think on a Invest Better Day, even with these two companies, in that I think a lot of the pessimism has been priced into these companies already, I and mean, they were trading at you know eight nine times earnings, which is really you know, cheap even for these for these heavy industrials. Uh, when you see a CEO like that come out and say, "Hey, listen, we see a relatively you know improving environment where we we don't foresee recessionary conditions." Uh, China, which has been the big wild card, apparently is is you know, they see a, a little bit more optimistically now. Um, 
you have to take that all into consideration. I mean, the thing is, the, these stocks were priced very low to begin with, and when you see leadership come out and, and call for improving conditions, uh, yeah, the stocks are going to pop a little bit. And, I mean, the other thing to pay attention to, obviously, is the uh, the miners themselves and the capital expenditures that they're putting out there. Because for a while there, there was there was some some increase in capital expenditures. We were seeing some more business, and then all of a sudden, really, they changed their tone of voice over the past couple of quarters, and were really holding back on capital expenditures, cutting back on spending. Now it seems like that's kind of flattened out. Maybe that you know we're kind of in a lull here. Uh, Caterpillar CEO. Said he thinks they've seen a bottom of the housing. I'm not saying that because he says it, it, it is. But I mean, when he puts comments out like that, the market is going to hear that, and and that's I think why you see those stocks uh, bounce up today. So I, I think I'm going to differ on one fact here, which is I think these stocks are relatively cheap. But when you have the CEO coming out saying he has you know a relatively moderated view for what the global economy looks like, you have to ask who is the tail wagging the dog? Like I mean. Which one is representative of the other? He's basically just telling you what he's heard from other people. And so these things kind of pivot around each other in terms of the perception surrounding the state of the global economy. It's, I don't think that there's necessarily anything which is particularly encouraging or not from his commentary there. So to Jason's point about sort of the, the valuation of Caterpillar and stocks like it, when you look at the valuation of this company, is it a stock that you just sort of shrug at, or or does it begin to get interesting at some point? It's not pricey, but you know what I have a hard time with on a company like this versus something like Joy Global um, is that these expenditures can be deferred, and what you know sort of installed base you need to support investment or the level of investment which needs to occur is is a very hard thing for me to wrap my head around. And so I've kind of shied away from it to this point. Yeah, I think Mike and I both agree on, on Joy Global as well, because I, I see I see eye to eye with them there. And, and one of the reasons why I like Joy Global, I own it in my real money portfolio, and Mike and I have talked about it before, is that Joy Global in particular, because they're so levered towards the coal industry, they have a tremendous amount of recurring revenue just from the aftermarket servicing of all the equipment that they have out there. So they get this tremendous base of installed equipment out. They don't necessarily need to place these new. We don't need to see new orders being placed because we know that you know these companies, to a degree, are going to be earning a lot of that money through the higher margin of servicing of that equipment as time goes on. So yeah, they can defer those expenses a lot for Caterpillar. That can be a bit more debilitating than a smaller, more nimble company like Joy Global that can uh, you know maybe make their money a couple different ways as well. And finally, guys, Hasbro's third quarter profits came in higher than expected. Uh, Jason, it appears that board games were part of what's going on here because they that division had declined for seven quarters in a row, and and it was flat this time. So I guess you know board being the operative word here, right? <laughs> <Chris>? <laughs> Return of the Dark Ages. Yeah, it is. Well, we were talking about this. I think we talk about this every quarter with these these toy makers. And, and Mattel just just recently announced earnings. Hasbro followed suit today. Nothing tremendously uh, you know eye opening or jaw dropping here. Um, but and shares are basically flat. Shares today. are basically flat. I, I found really two things interesting from this call. Is number one the games situation there, um, and we've seen that these toy companies more and more have to become. Uh, more uh, entertainment companies. They've got to get those games out. It just isn't a board game anymore. It's got to be an app for an iPad or a Kindle or an iPod or something. And so, uh, you know, Hasbro, for example, is, has uh, formed a, a relationship with Zynga, and they were putting out, I think, what was it, Angry Birds Star Wars. And they actually re- they released this game. You it looked kids. like a little bit early this quarter. And I think that was that was 
possibly to help Furby. boost that uh, that game's revenue a little bit, make it more flat as opposed to down again. Um, I don't know that I necessarily see board games as a tremendous source of revenue going forward. They're going to have to figure out ways to digitize this content and make it more accessible uh, to kids uh, today because we see these kids as they hit four and five years old. We were saying a Mr. Potato Head isn't going to cut it anymore. They want a device. And so then these, these companies are going to have to figure out ways to access that content uh, on these devices. And that leads me to my second point here is, Chris, what in the hell is up with this rebirth of the Furby? Right. Have you this, seen this thing, Chris? Uh, I saw it because if you go to Hasbro.com, that's the, that's the biggest thing that gets promoted on Hasbro.com. Yes. That's and, a problem. And it is a problem. C- that's scary. CEO Brian Goldner said, it's off to a great start. They, we've, you know, Again? In, in movies, you from time to time, a, a movie franchise will be rebooted. We saw that with, with the Batman franchise that Chris Nolan rebooted. Um, apparently, Furby is getting a reboot from Hasbro, and and if you're listening, Mr. Goldner, please stop. Yeah, this thing started back in 98. And just to put some context around this, they sold about 40 million of these bad boys since 1998. Now, there is one Furby in my house. And I'm, you know, I, I, it's, it's the point. I can't believe it's still in my house. Get rid I mean, of it. It, it has, has almost, you know, met the bottom of the trash can a couple of times. But I'm going to be interested to see how that performs this holiday season. Because on the call, they were really optimistic about the reintroduction of the Furby into the line there. I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily see it. I mean, I liken it to like one of those mogwais from the movie Gremlins, except this thing is not cute at all. It's tremendously, it's tremendously annoying, and uh, I, I just, I, I'd be hard pressed to believe that they're going to be able to sell forty more million of these. Uh, one other source of revenue for Hasbro is movies, because yep. we saw earlier this year Battleship. Boy, the, that was the an movie. award winner, wasn't it, Chris? Oh, uh, yeah. It's going to sweep at Oscar time. <laughs> um, here are four Hasbro board games slash toys that are in development for feature films right now. I'm going to give you all four. You tell me which one, if you had to bet on one. Monopoly, Stretch Armstrong, Hungry Hungry Hippos, and Candyland. And I do have this quote from one of the screenwriters when describing his vision for the Candyland movie. He said... It's going to be like Lord of the Rings, but set in a world of candy. So if you had to bet on one of those four movies to be a success, to be a financial success for them, what are you betting on? The only one I could possibly see, and I, I don't even see it, would be Candyland if they threw like a Tim Burton twist on it like The Nightmare Before Christmas or something. But, but let's be very clear here. I'm calling a big fat F on all four of them. Okay? <laughs> I mean, what Mike? what – what does the Boots character look like in the Monopoly movie? That's what I'm most interested in. Boots, uh, oh man, I thought you were on the door of the Explorer yeah. there for a second. Uh, I'm thinking if they wanted to be really edgy <laughs> and really wanted to astonish everyone, including investors, they would make Hungry Hungry Hippos uh, just a gut-wrenching horror movie. It, it could be. Now, Chris, we just went on the safari at Disney World here, the, uh, the, the Animal Kingdom down there. And, man, those hippos we saw are legit. They're scary. They're ferocious. Yeah. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Of those four movies, tell us which one you would bet on and why. Mike Olson, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Forward. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.